in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, folks, good afternoon. Right now it's 106, and you're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of the program, again, it is a special day in the um, family of both Kays and the Lodge. And it really comes down to um, what a a tremendous honor it is. And we want to pay tribute on this Monday to um, Roger Peewee Payette. And longtime Kays restaurant manager, 55-year career. And he is just the definition of loyalty, hardworking, dedication, work ethic. 55 years, we salute Roger Peeway Payette and uh, very, very happy for him. And I love that post in the Winsocket Call of uh, Payday. So, folks, good afternoon again. Right now it's uh, 107. It's John DePietro. And I want to bring you up to speed on some of the other news of the day. Um, let's see, starting with, um, well, as you may have heard, and we mentioned that Dr. Fauci, as you just heard in the one o'clock news, uh, he is in fact deciding, I I think he, I mean, I think he kind of stayed, I think a lot of people do, stayed too long. I think it was, um, certainly, um, should have stepped down some time ago. I also want to make mention, there's a really interesting story, and I know it it doesn't really fit uh, this audience, but there's a really interesting um, story in the New York Times where they followed, you know, I'm also just seeing this. It now costs more than three hundred thousand to raise a child, or more than eighteen thousand a year. So you think, you know, now I'm youngest of seven. That would now be two point seven million. I have three children, so that's basically like it almost costs you one million to raise three children. But um, I um. The New York Times, they had three reporters that followed the mayor of New York. So he would not, Mayor, mayor um, he would not, this is the, he replaced de Blasio, Eric Adams, and he wouldn't give reporters his itinerary or where he was going at night. He wouldn't answer questions about it. Um, they had said that that basically that he was, you know, he's always out and about in all the different boroughs of New York and so forth. So they, they New York Times, to their credit, they got an, es- a, uh, an Escalade. They put three reporters on him and they followed him out each night for a month, which is not illegal to follow him. And it turns out that most of the time he would just end up at the same restaurant where they'd give him a private room. And there's no evidence that he would pay for his meals and people would come in and out. And then he'd go to a private club of which he's not a member of. And again, with a VIP room. And so already, uh, the reason I mention that is it, it, it seems as though he's just someone that the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, that he's just caught up in the like the trappings of the office, so to speak, that his whole purpose and office, he thinks maybe that that's what, you know, that's what a mayor does. But I want to get to some of the sound. This is a Channel 10, um, 12 roundtable regarding, uh, they had over the weekend about the various races. I think it was pretty good. 
And um, I want to play some of this. I disagree with some of the stuff being said. The Helena Folk's number but uh, here being we go. only at 14%, which was really no movement from her. From well, she was what, at 6%? Yeah, but she was at uh, 16% in the Boston Globe poll that it was done a month after ours in May. So I wanted to see, all right, we saw the growth from the Channel 12 poll in May to the Globe poll in June for her about 10 points from that early burst of TV ads. Now it looks like she's kind of stalled out. Um, maybe, you know, and give or take, there's a margin of error here, about five points. But... You know, clearly she hasn't gotten herself, it looks like, into the 20s with the two front runners, And uh, she spent a lot of money to still be in the teens. Joe, what surprised you? Well, the surprise is no one's really moved, like Ted was just saying. Everyone's still pretty much the same. And I think a large part of that is because people have not really invested in paid media until now. Now the paid media is starting to come up. But I thought one of these candidates might move a little bit more if they did not. Well, no one's really invested except, as Ted points out, Helena right. Folks. And we'll talk about her later, Ashley Kalish. She was on the air early and a lot. Sid, what surprised you? Um, I think seeing McKee's numbers with older um, people across the state and also seeing that um, his challengers didn't really make any inroads there and I wonder if they're targeting their messaging towards them or their ads, it doesn't feel like it. And that's kind of fertile ground. Uh, you have to wonder if that ad with his mother helped with older voters. We, we didn't poll that, of course, so we don't know. Jeff? Well, for, for me, I think what really jumps out is how surprising it is that we have two incumbents that, who have effectively been running for office for many, many years, under 30%. And that's kind of a headline that gets lost. I think we're used to the fact that everyone's numbers are so low, but it's quite unusual to have two incumbents at this a month out before the election. Under 30%. And when you say two incumbents, you mean Nellie Gorbea, Absolutely. right, who's yeah. been Secretary of State for the two terms, right, years. And these are folks who have had their eye on the governor's office for quite a long time, I think we can, it's fair to say. We knew the night of the 2014 race, we, the assumption was Gina Raimondo, being now a Democratic incumbent, would probably be able to win re-election then in 18, you know, give or take, and then 22, you'd have the other three. Seth Magaziner, who we thought was original governor, Nelly Gobey and Dan McKee fighting it out. But as Jeff said, they had all these years to start, Dan McKee even a head start in the governor's office, yeah. and neither of them even convinced 30% of them. You know, but folks, I want to come back to right now at 113. Good afternoon, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. I want to come back to uh, what I've been saying, which is I, I don't think they fully... And I like those guys and I respect those guys, but even those on the panel, that the dynamic has changed. This is all now about collecting ballots. And as we've talked about, if that's what it comes down to, just collecting ballots, then you're, you're not doing debates. You're not doing television commercials. You're not doing billboards. Uh, you do some of it, a little bit, but it's now just a matter of who can get out there and collect the most votes it's not the way it should work uh i don't to me that's that's it's the father's thing from like a real election it's not a battle of ideas it's it's not a matter of policies um i i and and i i don't think there's going to be a huge surge at the end i have said consistently that Nelly Gorbea, you know, changed voting, changed the voting list. She put something in that should never have been put in with the amount of early voting and ballot harvesting. Governor McKee, it was like a game of, of chicken, game of poker. He stepped up and said, fine, I'll sign that in. I can out cheat you. I'll collect just as many ballots. And this is, this is where we sit right now. So I want to go back to, because um, it was a good roundtable on uh, Channel 12. This is their newsmakers where they're discussing uh, the races. And I like Ted Nisi and Tim White. Uh, but I want to play a little bit uh, At those, uh, poll numbers before we dive into of this whole thing. With the Democratic uh, primary for governor. Uh, we asked 400 likely Democratic primary voters if the election were held today, who would they vote for? 28% Dan McKee, 25% Nellie Gorbea, 14% for Helena Folks. We also saw that Matt Brown got 8% and Luis Daniel Munoz at uh, 1%. 21% aren't sure. Okay, so let's start around the table, and Ted, I'll, I'll, I'll begin with you here. Um, you know, in the governor's race, be it in the head-to-head matchup, 
favorability, which we ask for people's opinions uh, of, of the top three candidates or any of the other data that Joe gathered for us. What surprised you most? You know, I think there's, there's obviously a lot we can talk about, but I think the number that surprised me most was the Helena Folks number uh, being only at 14%, which was really no movement from her. From well, she was what, at 6%? Yeah, yeah but she was at uh, 16% in the Boston Globe poll that it was done a month after ours in May. So I wanted to see, all right, we saw the growth from the Channel 12 poll in May to the Globe poll in June for her about 10 points from that early burst of TV ads. Now it looks like she's kind of stalled out. Um, maybe, you know, and give or take, there's a margin of error here, about five points. But, you know, clearly she hasn't gotten herself, it looks like, into the 20s with the two front runners. And uh, she's spent a lot of money to still be in the teens. Joe, what surprised you? Well, the surprise is no one's really moved, like Kev was just saying. Everyone's still pretty much the same, and I think a large part of that is because people have not really invested in paid media until now. Now the paid media is starting to come up, but I thought one of these candidates might move a little bit more. They did not. Well, no one's really invested except, as 10 points out, Helena right. Folks, and we'll talk about her later, Ashley Kalish. She was on the air early and a lot. Sid, what surprised you? Um, I think... Seeing McKee's numbers with older um, people across the state and also seeing that um, his challengers didn't really make any inroads there. And I wonder if they're targeting their messaging towards him or their ads. It doesn't feel like it. And that's kind of fertile ground. You have to wonder if that ad with his mother helped with older vote. We, we didn't poll that, of course, so we don't know. Jeff. Well, for, for me, I think what really jumps out is how surprising it is that we have two incumbents that, who have effectively been running for office for many, many years, under 30%. And that's kind of a headline that gets lost. I think we're used to the fact that everyone's numbers are so low, but it's quite unusual to have two incumbents at this, a month out before the election, and under 30%. And when you say two incumbents, you mean Nelly Gorbea, Absolutely. right, who's yeah. been Secretary of State for the two terms for right. years. And these are folks who have had their eye on the governor's office for quite a long time, I think we can, it's fair to say. We knew the night of the 2014 race, we, the assumption was Gina Raimondo, being now a Democratic incumbent, would probably be able to win re-election then in 18, you know, give or take, and then 22, you'd have the other three, Seth Magaziner, who we thought was the regional governor, Nelly Gorbea, Dan McKee, fighting it out. But as Jeff said, they had all these years to start, Dan McKee even a head start in the governor's office, yeah. and neither of them even convinced 30% of Democratic primary voters yet to be with them. Well, the thing to keep in mind is no one's paying attention to this election. <laughs> I mean, you talk to people out there, they say, well, who's running? They don't really know at this point even. And I mean, now they're starting TV, but it's still the summer, and the TV audience is down. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's going to be very difficult these next four weeks to get an identification of who's going to vote for who, and because of that, who knows what the turnout's going to be like? It could be a little turnout. Newsmakers' audience well, is never down, to be clear. The ratings yeah. are just off the charts. But the TV viewership is going to go up as we have kids going back to school. Football right. obviously draws a right. lot of eyeballs. So the question, I guess, would be to our, our strategists over here, if I can use that term, um, when you have a multi-candidate race, in the, as we do in the Democratic primary, no one has gone negative yet in these campaigns. And there's a risk and a reward to going negative. What would your advice be to the campaigns? Is it time to go negative uh, here, or do you still continue to hold on to the messaging of, of selling who the candidate is? Yeah, I, I think, um, I don't necessarily think of it as going negative. I think it's sharpening the message. I think people need to sharpen the contrast. <laughs> and it's not necessarily throwing bombs, but it's taking issues that people actually care about, holding your opponents accountable, and explaining why you'd be better, tougher, stronger, whatever, whatever it might be. I think we're beyond policy ideas. I think generalities about health care or education aren't going to get you there. You need to find some sharp edges and go out there and leave nothing on, on the table. Um, you don't want to be here in, in a month thinking, wow, if I had only been more aggressive on that issue, it might have made the difference. I think we're going to see more of it in the next few days. I think you're right, too. Sid, what do you think? I think that people are, I just going back to your previous question, tuned out. And so I think that this is the first summer we've had since 2019 without mandates, without restrictions. People are living their best lives right now. They're, out, you know, they're going to concerts, they're going to restaurants. People are in a good mood. I mean, despite inflation, despite some things, but we've been here before. It's, I think that that going negative, people don't want to hear it. Like, they feel good right now. And so I don't think that going negative right now would be, it, it, it would stress people out and people feel good. The other problem with going negative right now 
somebody with five candidates. You may go negative after one candidate, but you may not pick up the votes you bring down. They may go to a third candidate because they don't like the fact you went negative. Right. So I think you might see some of the independent expenditures over the next mm -hmm. month go negative. Here, here's the, way here's the candidate. thing, though, Joe. If I'm a challenger, right, and I don't like the trajectory of this right now. If I'm the challenger, <laughs> I'm going to do something. Gonna do something I agree right? yeah. And so if you're a challenger like a Republican or maybe someone who's not an incumbent, you have to be the person to distinguish yourselves from those incumbents. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's a winning strategy in Rhode Island. Be the outsider and attack the insiders. Well, and to the point all three of our analysts just made, I talk to these campaigns a lot, <laughs> every day, and they all agree with everything you just heard. All three of them know they need to sharpen the contrast, yeah. but all three of them think no one wants to hear it, as Sid said, and all three of them are fear that uh, A attacks B and C goes up. And so they're in this, it's like, I joked the other day, it's like that Spider-Man meme where there's three Spider-Men all looking at each other and nobody can decide what to do that's always on social media. Like, they're all in this standoff with each other, and I have to admit, I thought that would have resolved by now because, as, as Jeff says, Two people are, well, you know, four people are going to lose this primary, but two who look like they could win are going to lose this primary. And I thought by now the sort of fire under them would lead to some more energy activity, frankly, contrasts. Because because Jeff's right, everyone, I'm sure a lot of viewers watching agree with Sid. I hate negative ads. I don't want to hear it. Don't bum me out in the summer. But as Jeff says, otherwise then everyone's like, oh, so everyone's a great, everyone told me they're a great candidate. And so they just default back here. And that's why you end up seeing people go to, as the campaigns like to say, contrast ads. <laughs> Or whatever you call it. Uh, you know, in, in the meantime, you have a Republican in Ashley Kalis who has a, a pretty clean path to the to the primary, who can sit back and, and just sort of watch what's happening in the Democratic primary. She's on the air. She's active in terms of uh, trying to get into the news cycle. Um, look, you were part of a campaign that was the last Republican to win governorship in, in Rhode Island. In and the, last, and the last governor to get 50 percent in the general election. Mm, good point. That, of course, was in the Trump. Raimondo did the second time, didn't she, though? Yes. She, was just she got 53%. I don't remember what I thought she, well, that's she got 53%. Yeah, she got 53%. Yes, but okay. Yeah, we'll figure that out. Uh, but, but definitely not in 14, that's for sure. She was at like 40%, right. yeah. What work then that could work now, I suppose, for Ashley Kalis? What do you think your chances are? I, I think one of her challenges is that she needs to demonstrate that she has real Rhode Island credibility and roots, right? I think her messaging overall is probably the right messaging. I'm the outsider. I'll fight for people. But when Don Kachiri took that same mantle up, he had a handful of very specific things that he was for and against. They were Rhode Island things. He was against this container port in Quonset. It was for separation of powers. Those were big, tough top-line issues, and he really made them Rhode Island issues that he cared about. She needs to find those Rhode Island issues, not run this generic Republican national campaign. It's got to be really specific to Rhode Island. See, I almost disagree on that one. I think if, as the kids say, going by straight vibes, um, <laughs> that people, voters like a breakout candidate who's a fresh um, especially a female candidate. And if you kind of look nationally at who's been successful with that, if you get a woman who's young, a fresh face, it, and can speak her mind on things in a way that people haven't been able to, so she's lucky because she doesn't face the constraints that the other female candidates do because she can kind of say anything or do anything, take a new approach, and that gets people's attention. And they're like, hey, she's like me, or boy, she reminds me of my sister, my aunt, whatever, and I just like her. It's that likability factor, I think, that she has going for her that could really resonate with people in a surprising way. I do wonder, um, and maybe it's something that can unite the two points we just heard. If we look, uh, Alex, at the results on the Tidewater Landing Project, this is the to. Pawtucket Soccer Stadium. Um, in, and this is, again, a par poll of just Democratic primary voters. It's underwater. 35% mm. favor, 44% yeah. foes, 19% unsure. Again, just among the narrow slice of voters who plan to vote in the Democratic primary. And we should primary. mention that the way we asked it is about public support for the soccer stadium in terms of money. Folks, uh, again, this is newspapers. We playing roundtable right here on this Monday at 125 on the John DePietro show. This has echoes to me of the 2010 campaign, where 38 Studios out of nowhere became a big midsummer economic development project. Remember, mm -hmm. I mean, Governor Kachiri versus it was Lincoln Chafee, though Kachiri wasn't on the ballot that right. time. Lincoln Chafee outside the EDC, he was hammering on this against it. And you see Kalis, who doesn't feel, you know, Gorbea and folks clearly are struggling because they need Pawtucket. It's a Democratic primary. Kalis, on the other hand, being a Republican, is just going straight for the taxpayer protection. This is a waste of money. Just build housing peace. And Dan McKee did cast a tie-bring 
look, he is he is anchored to this. Oh. He's going to have to defend this if he's the nominee through the November election. So I'm intrigued because I have to believe that if we took a general election poll yeah. with this, knowing that this is a group that leans left in this poll, it's probably doing even worse. worse. That group. I yes. I think this is the issue that she can use in the general yes. election and really try to run with it and put it around Dan McKee's neck if he's yep. the nominee because, as you said, Ted, he was the deciding vote. So this could give her the care. that could get it going forward. And if you take that and say 38 Studio, that makes people shake. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's well, what could be one other interesting point about this, but by your poll numbers on Tidewater is that women yeah, have really me. opposed to Tidewater yes, much right. more than men mm -hmm. were. And if we think about women potentially being a higher turnout part of the population because of the abortion issue right. this year. You've got a, a subgroup of people who are maybe more motivated to vote, mm -hmm. who are really against something. Hmm. If I were one of the challengers this time around, I'd be taking a hard look at that deal. Yeah, but it's already emerging as an issue in the Democratic primary. We've heard in the WPRO debate um, the other candidates going after Governor McKee about this issue. And I, I know you made the point that you know they, they all want the votes from Pawtucket. But at a certain point, it seems to me that the Democratic uh, candidates against Governor McKee are also going to try and leverage this issue, don't you think? Yeah, I, and I mean, they have to an extent, but I, and I think but they, they feel a little <laughs> boxed in by wanting to find a way to say, I'm for Pawtucket, but not for exactly this. And you saw Helena Folk say, I too would have tried to move it forward, but this is not the plan, right? Dan McKee should have tried hard. And of course, you hear from the McKee people, like, oh, easy for you to say, I did the best I could. This is the best deal available. But I think that might be where items. But again, on the other hand, this this primary has been such a sedate little tea party. I don't know if they're ever going to really fight. <laughs> we'll find out. All right, we're going to take a break on Newsmakers. When we come back on the second half, the race to replace Congressman Jim. All right, folks, again, uh, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. I, I Listen, I like political debate. I like political discussion. I think that's a pretty good one. Uh, that is the Newsmakers program. Right now it's 127. I want to come back to this. Just hear them talk about CD2. White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi. We have a political roundtable this week breaking down our exclusive 12 News Roger Williams University poll. Political analysts joining us this week, Jeff Grabowski, Sid McKenna, and Joe Fleming. I want to pivot now to the second congressional district race. You can see uh, we asked likely Democratic primary voters who they would choose in the Democratic primary to replace Jim Langevin. Uh, you have Seth Magaziner at 37%, 8% each to uh, David Siegel and Sarah Morgenthau, and then Omar Bogg at 4% and less than uh, 1% for Spencer Dickinson. But as you can see, Seth Magaziner is neck and neck with undecided, which is 37%, uh, pretty, pretty high there. But I mean, Joe, e e despite 37%, more than a third, one in three voters saying they're not sure who they're going to vote for when they walk into the voting booth on September 13th. Is this magaziners to lose? Right now it is. There's no question. He has the lead. No one else is in double digits. And he has the resources. That's the key. He has the money to keep his message going for the next month. The other candidates said, no, it's starting to go on TV. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And making some in impact. However, he has so much money, he could really keep this message going strong. And they have not come up with an issue yet that I've seen that's going to start to bring him down. What do you guys think? Any shot for any, yeah, there's, there's no policy difference between the candidates, apparently, at least nothing that's gotten through to voters. And, you know, to Sid's point earlier, with 37% undecided, I actually think maybe this time you should have renamed that and called it I couldn't care less. Because that seems to be the theme of this whole, of this whole election cycle. <laughs> Sid, do you think uh, if you were in the magaziner campaign and working for him, would the advice to him be set your sights on Alan Fung now? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think something else is interesting a takeaway from the poll in general that shows up in this race is that four years ago the progressives or the hard left had a lot more momentum i think that had a lot to do with trump being in office people felt very hair on fire threatened and um there you can see that in the matt brown race i think if you go back to the governor poll and you see how low he was polling as opposed to four years ago and then you look at Dave, david siegel in this race at eight percent i think if this were eight i'm sorry four years ago he would have a lot more momentum. But I think right now, again, people are just kind of chilled out and, and things are going okay. And so they're not looking to take that hard left pivot like they would have before. And, you know, this we saw this week, I reported uh, earlier in the week, on top of the money that uh, Seth Magaziner has in his own campaign account, he's been spending to, as we get toward the primary, the League of Conservation Voters, which is, has deep pockets and has endorsed Magaziner, is going to come in with $350,000 in ads separate from the ones Magaziner is running on his behalf in the final two weeks of the primary. As always, people hate hearing how much money matters. 
matters, but in a race like this where the others are so unknown, Magaziner's already running the biggest ad campaign, already has a third of the people with him. Plus, because the other thing you got to remember, in, a, in something this crowded, they not only need to gain momentum, they need to somehow both get past Magaziner, who's 30 points ahead of them, while keeping down all these other people also trying to get even into the teens. That is a scramble in a few weeks. Well, one of the other uh, stories that you broke this week, one of the 580 stories that you filed uh, this past week, has been a busy one for you, is is the story on Alan Fung. Look, whoever gets to the Democratic uh, primary will, will face uh, Republican Alan Fung. And you broke the story that Fung couldn't make a candidate for him this week because he was in Wyoming uh, with the man on the right side of the screen right there, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy, of course, was in Rhode Island for a fundraiser uh, with Fung earlier this month, month, which he was not super keen to broadcast. Look, more money is good in a campaign, Ted, but at what cost? Well, and that's, I guess, the thing. I think I thought Alan Fung getting into this, and when he was on Newsmakers with us before all this Kevin McCarthy stuff happened, I, I remember thinking, all right, he knows who he's running as. I'm running as the mayor of Cranston, who you already know, who's viewed as a moderate. Don't, the Democrats are going to talk about Trump, but that's not me. Yet now twice in, this, in, in a couple of weeks, Alan Fung has been in the headlines spending time with Donald Trump's biggest ally in Congress, who's going to be on the front lines of defending Donald Trump as this investigation of Donald Trump unfolds. And, and the, you know, and the Fung people say, oh, you know, the voters don't care. They don't even know who Kevin McCarthy is for the most part. But on the other hand, why give the Democrats a way to make the attacks you already knew were coming happen? Do you, so do you agree with that? I mean, that, that the most people you've been talking throughout the show, how everyone's chilled out and during the summer. Um, right. But uh, do people that we know who Kevin McCarthy is, sure. the people who are all abuzz on Ted's story know who Kevin McCarthy is. Yeah, yeah. Do people at home know who he is? So I think that people who care will come out. And I think that that's that is an issue that will drive turnout. I think this vote. is going to be a low turnout election. So when you have low turnout from everyone else, and then you have these super motivated folks who, for that, for them, that Kevin McCarthy piece is a motivator, yeah, I think it's a big deal. Jeff, you, I guess, dealt with this to a much lesser degree when you worked for Governor Kichiri. Uh, 2006, President George Bush was not popular following uh, with the Iraq war really uh, going on. How did you deal with that internally? Well, I, I think... You want to keep things as local as possible, right? And being someone who, who the electorate already knows really helps because your argument is, hey, you know, I'm not one of these national Republicans. You know me. I'm Don Kachiri. I'm Alan Fung. Uh, I've got a record that demonstrates that I'm different. I, I disagree with this, this sort of concern about McCarthy thing. I'm not sure I would have brought McCarthy to Rhode Island, but I think Alan's position probably is we already know that Magaziner is going to try to tag me as a Trump supporter, uh, a McCarthy supporter. That line of attack is there. This additional visit isn't going to change the line of attack or my response to that attack. So. Let me raise some money so I have the resources. But the picture of them side by side, that's not a lo another log on that fire for Seth Magaziner or whoever gets through the Democratic I don't, I don't think it changes the dynamic of that back and forth about no? pro-Trump, anti-Trump. At the end of the day, they're still going to fight over that issue. Okay. I think it will change it some. Because I think people go, they're going to take Kevin McCarthy. They're going to let people know who Kevin McCarthy is. There's a very strong Donald Trump backer. And they're really trying to tie that together. I think if Alan stayed away from him more, he wouldn't have that problem. He could say he's a Trump person. Well, yeah, I was a Trump person years ago, but I'm not so much now. I think we need a change in the party. So now it makes it a lot tougher for Alan Hunt to separate himself with Donald Trump. You just see, we don't see a lot of uh, New England Republicans still winning high-profile races. No. And when you look at the examples, it's Charlie Baker, who kept you know heavy distance from Fung. But look at Susan Collins in Maine in the last cycle. She voted with Donald Trump on a regular basis, but she obviously was had a very independent brand. I don't think Mitch McConnell ever came to Maine. No one knows who Kevin so McCarthy I think, is. I guess I expected Alan Fung to take pains to be a... No one knows who Kevin McCarthy is. I disagree. Of course, neither support in mind. It's not a voting issue. Say the, the saving grace for Alan Fung is if I'm looking at the Democratic primary, again, I see an incumbent at 37%, mm. someone who, who's been running for office probably since the day he announced for his office for treasurer, right? He's been running for the no, next No, he was running for governor. So, you know, it's, it's Alan's, in, I think, in a really strong position here. And, uh, you know, with Magaziner at 37% against a handful of people no one has, no one has ever heard about before 2022, I think, I think it's a tough spot for the I Democrats. Think, I think the Dems kind of dodged a bullet here um, with Jess Delacruz having dropped out of that race. I think she probably would have been a much more compelling candidate. No. Again, going with the fresh face, a mom, young, 
a more a very independent. She doesn't live in the State district. Senator Jessica Dela Cruz, who yes. was who had early on thrown her head in. Yeah, I think that she would have had an easier time threading the needle with the national folks, and um, in terms of just casting her image and making those separations, I think for Alan it's going to be harder because he's already been tagged with it. So, what um, about Fung's argument? Totally wrong. Made on newsmakers, which is like, yes, I will vote for Kevin McCarthy to be Speaker yeah. of the House if the Republicans take over. Which and they will. The conventional wisdom is the Republicans are going to take over the House. Senate is still in question. And he goes, and you want somebody who uh, is, you know, tied with Kevin McCarthy so I can bring home the bacon to Rhode Island so I can be good in this party and, and help Rhode Island when all the Democrats are in the minority party. Is that a good argument to be yeah. made? I think it's especially a good argument in CD2, where Alan did pretty well in the last CD2 couple. CD2 has gotten a little more red. Over Absolutely. Time. He did, he did well. quite well in the last couple of gubernatorial uh, campaigns uh, in CD2. So if you're going to run for Congress pretty in Rhode well. Island, that's he, the place to run he, from. You know, and I, 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 I want to reinforce a point actually Jeff just made, which is a, it's an important one, and, and Sid made it earlier, too. Uh, this poll shows all these statewide office holders have not ever gotten deep, um, strong support deep within the Democratic primary base. And I just have to look at, at the races I'm covering in Massachusetts, where Mara Healy is stomping the competition as Attorney General. And you and I have talked about this, Tim. Yes, AG is usually higher profile than the offices these folks But hold. it can weigh you down. But it can also hurt you, as yes. right. Governor Sheldon Whitehouse will tell you. Yeah. That never happened. <laughs> right. Um, right. And so she's, a, she's been polling, I think, at 60% plus support in the primary all along. These people arguably have had the same opportunity eight years in statewide office to say, you know, yes, in the shadow of Gina Raimondo, but frankly, she wasn't always super popular with Democrats. There was always room for others. And yet they've never locked up. This is the party base. These are the people who pull Democratic ballots in a boring primary year. And none of them are, are deeply loved. All right. We have two minutes left. Uh, I'm going to go. I want to go to the lieutenant governor's race here. Not a Folks, lot, again, I'm this is newsmakers Tim White on the John DePietro um, show. We'll bring up these uh, figures here. It's 137 on this Sabina uh, Mantos, Monday. who's the current lieutenant governor, 23%. Uh, Deborah Giro at 14%. Cynthia Mendes at 9%, but a whopping 51% of the voters still aren't sure here. Joe, um, you know, obviously this, people will be walking into the voting booth going, wait, now who am I going to vote for here? We know Sabina Matos joined us in this studio for a lieutenant governor's debate that was that was pretty fun, actually. Mm -hmm. She has declined to do any other debates yep. now moving forward. She's not doing Channel 10's debate. Right. Um, and looking at these numbers, is that a good move for her to do? Well, normally no, but no one's paying attention to this race at all. Yeah. You know, none of the candidates have the money to go on TV and really stress the message that she's refusing to talk and debates. And as a result of that, she can get away with this, I believe, because there's no one to really criticize it in paid media. Mm -hmm. uh, no, she has most money of all the candidates, and there hasn't been a lot of even from her paid media so far. So she has the ability to do that. And in this situation, because no one's paying attention, get away with it. Jeff, real quick, a minute left. Um, Liz Roberts, who is lieutenant governor, Don Kachiri, oil and water, um, <laughs> I think it's safe to say. Um, here, though, we have Sabina M Matos, Dan McKee, you know, he, he has been bringing her along. Does that help or hurt her, do you think? Less than a minute left. Help. I don't know what to make of this lieutenant governor's race. <laughs> I honestly have no idea. This one is a complete toss-up. <laughs> it is. I, no, I she's a favorite. Right, we have another debate uh, coming up <laughs> next week. Ted and I will be on set on Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Uh, along with our colleague in Target 12, Steph Machado, it is the race for Providence Mayor Brett Smiley, Gonzalo Cuervo, Nirva La Fortune. It is commercial-free, an hour on Fox Providence at 7 o'clock. That is also another race that is sort of a, a, bit of a, it's a bit of a snoozer right now, so we'll try and spice that one up on Tuesday. All right, everybody, Jeff Grabowski. Folks, again, I, um, I want to just make mention. Good afternoon. It's John DiPietro. I... Um, uh, you know, every time, I, I just don't think they fully understand that if you're a campaign and it's 140 on this Monday and you're listening to AM 1380 and 99.9 .9 FM, you, you're, people, they're going where the bulk of where they can get votes are. And with all these mail ballot applications, what, what you keep hearing is, you know, that's a snoozer and no one's paying attention in this race. Well, because the entire game has changed. The entire game. And it's wrong. The entire game now 
is about collecting ballots, as I've been telling you. So there's there's an interesting um, development that's happening right now, and I want to give credit to Ted Nisi did the first story on it, and it has to do with Nellie Gorbea, and they call it red boxing. So she has something on her website and says, when it comes to the Rhode Island governor's race, voters need to see on broadcast cable and OTT, which is, um, that is, you know, video that pops up in different places. That Gorbea has been an advocate for abortion rights her until life. She's an advocate community leader. So in other words, this red box is providing the script of what, if you're going to spend money on her behalf, here's how she wants you, and this is a good message to spend. So now Ken Block... I'll probably have one tomorrow. He wrote a piece saying that that what she's doing is illegal. Ken Block wrote a piece saying that what Nellie Gorbea did is illegal. <coughs> but notice, folks, like they're not putting two and two together. So what does it tell you of someone who, you know, she he is saying she's violated Rhode Island election laws. Coordinating with dark money by red boxing. So apparently this was even a big thing. And, and again, Ted Nisi at Channel 12 did the original story. There's even a story in the New York Times. Red boxing and legal practice. Campaigns published messaging signal to super PACs what material should use in their ads. So it's prohibited. She's doing it. But who's going to go after her? Who's going to file a complaint against her? And the damage is already done. But this comes back to, all right, so what what exactly is Secretary of State Nellie Gorbea? What is she demonstrating? She's demonstrating that she's not afraid to, to bend the rules. And if she's not afraid to bend the rules on that, why would people think that, what, she suddenly is going to, you know, follow... The letter of the law. And she so she just happens to bend the rules on that. I I don't. I I don't believe that. Um, No, that's that's not it. This is. She will do whatever it takes to win. So. So when it comes to ballots. And collecting ballots, for instance, you know, why would anyone think that she she should not be secretary of state running her own election? And again, I do want to give credit to the laborers are just pouring money into Governor McKee, pouring money into Governor McKee because they're going to get a big payday. He's going to give them whatever they want. No bid contracts. If he wins the primary, then he thinks he'll win the general. So Ted Nisi wrote, look at Nellie Gorbea, who's both a public persona, commitment to good government, clean elections, now embraces the red box, a tactic that ethic watchdogs call illegal. New York Times calls brazen. Gorbea's campaign is honest about why they badly need a deep-pocketed outside group to drop a six-figure sum in Rhode Island to help her counter Dan McKee and Helena Folks. The red box lets them send a direct signal to those organizations what they could do to help. But there's a cost. Common cause. Told 83,000 Twitter followers, Gorbea was trying to bypass campaign finance law, coordinate campaign plans with independent groups, which is illegal. To be clear, Gorbea's campaign is only unique in its blatant use um, of Redbox, not its desired for outside support. McKee is benefiting from a half-million-dollar outlay by his allies at the Labor's Union. Folks has the backing of a super PAC, which netted 20000 from Nancy Pelosi. Well, the Labor's are giving McKee 500000 He writes, as an aside, we're sure a long way from the days when Success Magazine was calling for a people's pledge in the race for governor. So that is 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 not small, but... Anyone that feels 
Nellie Gorbea, that she somehow, you know, carries this ethical pledge is is absolutely it, it's just completely wrong. Um, I, uh, I I'm sticking with with what I've said, which is this is going to be a highly contested election after um, all of the you know the ballots go through. Because what they have turned this into, you know, and it's hard, folks, what's disappointing is it's, um, <laughs> they, they, they have managed to destroy uh, what should just be the element of voting in the smallest state. I mean, it takes real effort to do that. But, you know, some of the questions, will any campaign go negative? You, why go negative? You don't need to go negative. They don't, all they're going to do is try to get, um, collect ballots. That's it. They're, they're not looking to um, win over. They're not looking to win over the general public. They're not going to take that type of chance. Look at look at what just happened to Governor McKee. He suddenly is nowhere because he came down with COVID. And <clears throat> earlier this morning, when when we were our first hour talking with. Justin Katz in our segment Politics This Week, he, he, he talked about that, you know, they, they would try to get people out, you know, to vote and try to convince unions would tell their members, you know, remember, you got to get out there and vote. It's, you, you, I, I've tried to explain that to people that you don't have to do that anymore. They're not doing that now. What they're going to do is collect ballots, have people with mail ballots, and look at that. There's common cause. Rhode Island gubernatorial candidate Gorbea is using red boxing to bypass campaign finance laws, coordinate campaign plans with independent groups, which is illegal. She's And she's running the election. She's running the election, and she's pulling a stunt like that. She's pulling a stunt like that because she can get away with it. What do I think about, um, what do I think about elections in, in the state? They're not legitimate. Has nothing to do with Trump. This primary, nothing to do with Trump. Zero. Oh, you mean Trump and the big... Le- no, no, no. Nothing to do with that, folks. They have changed it. And something that people should be aware of, I think people are aware of. If not, you should be. But that is in the form of ballot harvesting. That it's all about collecting ballots. Rhode Island does not operate the way other states do. We don't operate that way. We allow the campaigns to collect ballots. We allow third parties to collect ballots, which means the unions can have people come and, you know, collect all the ballots from all their members. And it's not even illegal. So now you're going to hear stories from people who want to remain anonymous that will say that they felt pressured to vote a certain way because their union was literally collecting their votes. That's where we've gone. That that is ridiculous. That is not democracy. It doesn't need to happen. Uh, 
I believe Dan McKee, he feels he has turned the ship around. He's given away the store. He has got the laborers ready to pour a ton of money into the, the campaign for TV. They're going to spend 500000 on his behalf. Think how much money they're guaranteed if they'll spend 500000 Now, it is interesting that, you know, the amount of money that they're promised, that's a small percentage for them. Small percentage. Think how much money they must be getting guaranteed from Governor McKee if they're willing to plop down 500 500 grand, half a million, the laborers, boom, to Governor McKee. So you look at if it's 50 million that they guaranteed, 10% of that would be 500,000. So I don't know what the number is, but there's huge money coming their way because of Governor McKee. And as we discussed earlier, I, I just I don't believe that, you know, that it, it's not a matter that the unions met with all of the candidates and then said, oh, you know what? We we just think he presents the best. Now, it's it's not a matter of that. Um, they they decided. That he he checked off the list of everything he was willing to give them. And then in exchange for that, boom, you know, they're going to try to get, they're going to have all their members vote for him. I also believe they're going to collect ballots from all of their members to vote for him. They want to make sure that it, it stands out in that way. And this is not a matter, you know, Justin was right when we spoke earlier, Justin Katz of you know, it used to be rides to the polls. They would get, who needs a ride to the polls? They would even call people. Do you need a ride to the polls? They'd have the bus and go around. And then there were, I know someone that used to take people by bus to vote. Um, and then they had to stop and they would get them ice cream on the way back. They would drive them now. Well, people can be late. People don't feel well. People also, on top of that, um, they they could suddenly just say, oh, I, I have COVID, so I, I, I can't go and vote. They, that, that's gone. Like, this is now, this is now, we will collect your vote. There's, there's no more ride to the polls. There's no more ice cream. Now it's it's all come down to collecting the ballot. Now that doesn't mean they're not giving them a gift card or giving them something. Maybe a gift certificate for an ice cream cone or whatever there is. But there's no more. Why why take the chance? What if they make a mistake? What if they are running late? What if they feel under the weather? What if it's either a a beautiful day and people don't want to waste it going to vote, or it's a it's pouring rain and they decide I you know I don't feel like going out or whatever it may be. <clears throat> so today is Monday. It is August twenty second, folks. Good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM thirteen eighty and ninety nine point nine FM. But I, I think number one. Now watch what's going to happen. They're going to say, "Wow, this, this, you know, this should this will be a low turnout because people just aren't plugged in." I don't believe that. I also kind of find a comical that I find a comical that they, you know, no one's paying attention, but no one's paying attention, but but voters are really going to pay attention. With Kevin McCarthy coming in with Fung. So, you know, I mean, that, like, you can't have it both ways. Either they're paying attention or they're not paying attention. And I, I, I'm still going to go with, I, I don't believe that 
no, I, I don't think the Kevin McCarthy thing um, comes into play at all. I don't think it does. I don't think people know who that is. The Alan Fung race against Seth Magazine. And now, again, Magazine hasn't won yet, but he is on his way. Um, the, the, the only thing that he has to watch out for is going to be the ballot harvesting in Providence. Not so much, somewhat in Cranston, somewhat in Warwick, but mostly Providence. Mostly Providence. That's where they bury a lot of the uh, ballots. Um, that, that's where a lot of the stuff goes on. Where they... Um, where they're able to, uh, and I'm going to come back to illegals of voting in in this election. And I know a lot of people, they don't like that. Um, they don't like to hear that. As I've told you, there's no mechanism to prevent it. None. And Gorbea is demonstrating that she's not afraid to bend the rules. She's not afraid at all. Why would, you know... Watch, they're all in for a surprise. Watch the amount of ballots that she's going to deliver. And as I told you folks, early voting starts Wednesday. Early vote, today's Monday. Early voting starts Wednesday. Starting Wednesday, you can take a mail ballot application, mail ballot vote, and drop it in a drop box. And they start collecting them in real time. And... If you vote this Wednesday, it's no different than if you vote on election day, primary day, the 13th. I'll also say this about Ashley Kalis. She certainly has a window. She's got a real opportunity if she can rise to the challenge. If she can rise to the occasion, she's got a real opportunity here. Because, as they were saying, people are against that soccer stadium, and there hasn't been a lot of attention on it. People are against the fact that Governor McKee bribed all state workers and gave them $3,000 of your money to vote for him. The spending, the doing whatever it takes to try to win is, is just so egregious. He is the governor that that will never say no. He'll give them whatever they want. He is not the governor of one million people. Governor McKee is, is, I mean, I I just don't think we've seen anyone like this in a long time. That he is absolutely, he just completely caves to special interest. He actually doesn't care about the taxpayers. He cares, and I get it. He's feeling, hey, listen, I can't do anything good if I'm not elected. So I may have to do these things, but if I don't win, I can't do them. So that's how he's justifying. Well, folks, it's 159. Again, I want to thank you for listening to the John DePietro Show. Remember, this portion of the program brought to you by The Lodge. And also, we want to salute uh, our friends at Keys. And that is um, tremendous. With uh, I am very, very happy as they are recognizing and honoring uh, someone known as... Um, Peewee. So, long time K's restaurant, Roger Peewee Payette. 55 year career. Listen, stay dry on this Monday. I will be doing Facebook Live uh, later this afternoon. Stay tuned for the 2 o'clock news. Fauci is leaving. It's John DePietro. Thank you for tuning in. We're back tomorrow on the radio at 11. WNRI Winsocket.